July 29th to August 4th. Morning and evening daily readings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Rick Cornwall. Morning and Evening Daily Readings by Charles Spurgeon. Morning, July 29th. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Psalm 73.23 Nevertheless, as if, notwithstanding all the foolishness and ignorance which David had just been confessing to God, not one atom the less was it true and certain that David was saved and accepted, and that the blessing of being constantly in God's presence was undoubtedly his. Fully conscious of his own lost estate, and of the deceitfulness and vileness of his nature, yet by a glorious outburst of faith, he sings, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Believer, you are forced to enter into Asaph's confession and acknowledgment. Endeavor in like spirit to say, Nevertheless, since I belong to Christ, I am continually with God. By this is meant continually upon his mind. He is always thinking of me for my good. Continually before his eye. The eye of the Lord never sleepeth, but is perpetually watching over my welfare. Continually in his hand, so that none shall be able to pluck me thence. Continually on his heart, worn there as a memorial, even as the high priest bore the names of the twelve tribes upon his heart forever. Thou always thinkest of me, O God. The bowels of thy love continually yearn toward me. Thou art always making providence work for my good. Thou hast set me as a signet upon thine arm. Thy love is strong as death. Many waters cannot quench it. Neither can the floods drown it. Surprising grace! Thou seest in me Christ, and though in myself abhorred, thou beholdest me as wearing Christ's garments, and washed in his blood. And thus I stand accepted in thy presence. I am thus continually in thy favor, continually with thee. Here is comfort for the tried and afflicted soul, vexed with the tempest within. Look at that calm without. Nevertheless, O oh, say it in thy heart, and take thy peace it gives. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Evening, July 29th. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. John 6.37 This declaration involves the doctrine of election. There are some whom the Father gave to Christ. It involves the doctrine of effectual calling. Those who are giving must and shall come. However stoutly they may set themselves against it, yet they shall be brought out of the darkness into God's marvelous light. It teaches us the indispensable necessity of faith, for even those who are given to Christ are not saved except they come to Jesus. Even they must come, for there is no other way to heaven but by the door, Christ Jesus. All that the Father gives to our Redeemer must come to Him. Therefore none can come to heaven except they come to Christ. Oh, the power and the majesty which rest in the words, shall come. He does not say they have power to come, nor they may come if they will, but they shall come. 
the Lord Jesus doth by his messengers, his word, and his spirit, sweetly and graciously compel men to come in that way that they may eat of his marriage supper. And this he does, not by any violation of the free agency of man, but by the power of his grace. I may exercise power over another man's will, and yet that other man's will may be perfectly free, because the constraint is exercised in a manner accordant with the laws of the human mind. Jehovah Jesus knows how, by irresistible arguments addressed to the understanding, by mighty reasons appealing to the affections, and by the mysterious influence of his Holy Spirit operating upon all the powers and passions of the soul, so to subdue the whole man, that whereas he was once rebellious, he yields cheerfully to his government, subdued by sovereign love. But how shall those be known whom God hath chosen? By this result, that they do willingly and joyfully accept Christ, and come to him with simple and unfeigned faith, resting upon him as all their salvation and all their desire. Reader, have you thus come to Jesus? Morning, July 30th. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Mark 14.72 It has been thought by some that as long as Peter lived, the fountain of his tears began to flow whenever he remembered his denying his Lord. It is not unlikely that it was so for his sin was very great, and grace in him had afterwards a perfect work. This same experience is common to all the redeemed family according to the degree in which the Spirit of God has removed the natural heart of stone. We, like Peter, remember our boastful promise, Though all men shall forsake thee, yet will not I. We eat our own words with the bitter herbs of repentance. When we think of what we vowed we would be, and of what we have been, we may weep whole showers of grief. He thought on his denying his Lord, the place in which he did it, the little cause which led him into such heinous sin, the oaths and blasphemies with which he sought to confirm his falsehood, and the dreadful hardness of heart which drove him to do so again and yet again. Can we, when we are reminded of our sins and their exceeding sinfulness, remain stolid and stubborn? Will we not make our house a Boshim and cry unto the Lord for renewed assurances of pardoned love? May we never take a dry-eyed look at sin, lest ere long we have a tongue parched in the flames of hell. Peter also thought upon his master's look of love. The Lord followed up the cock's crowing voice with an admonitory look of sorrow, pity, and love. That glance was never out of Peter's mind so long as he lived. It was far more effectual than ten thousand sermons would have been without the Spirit. The penitent apostle would be sure to weep when he recollected the Savior's full forgiveness, which restored him to his former place. To think that we have offended so kind and good a Lord is more than sufficient reason for being constant weepers. Lord, smite our rocky hearts and make the waters flow. Evening, July 30th. Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. John six thirty-seven. No limit is set to the duration of this promise. 
It does not merely say, I will not cast out a sinner at his first coming, but I will in no wise cast out. The original reads, I will not, not cast out, or I will never, never cast out. The text means that Christ will not at first reject a believer, and that as he will not do it at first, so he will not do it to the last. But suppose the believer sins after coming. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But suppose that believers backslide. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from him. But believers may fall under te another temptation. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. But the believer may fall into sin, as David did. Yes, but he will purge them with hyssop, and they shall be clean. He will wash them, and they shall be whiter than snow. From all their iniquities will I cleanse them. Once in Christ, in Christ forever, nothing from his love can sever. I give unto my sheep, saith he, eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What sayest thou to this, O trembling, feeble mind? Is not this a precious mercy, that coming to Christ, thou dost not come to one who will treat thee well for a little while, and then send thee about thy business? But he will receive thee, and make thee his bride, and thou shalt be his for ever. Receive no longer the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby thou shalt cry, Abba, Father. Oh, the grace of these words I will in no wise cast out. Morning, July 31st. I in them. John 17.23 If such be the union which subsists between our souls and the person of our Lord, how deep and broad is the channel of our communion! This is no narrow pipe through which a thread-like stream may wind its way. It is a channel of amazing depth and breadth, along whose glorious length a ponderous volume of living water may roll its floods. Behold, he hath set before us an open door. Let us not be slow to enter. This city of communion hath many pearly gates, Every several gate is of one pearl, and each gate is thrown open to the uttermost that we may enter, assured of welcome. If there were but one small loophole through which to talk with Jesus, it would be a high privilege to thrust a word of fellowship through the narrow door. How much we are blessed in having so large an entrance! Had the Lord Jesus been far away from us, with many a stormy sea between, we should have longed to send a messenger to him, to carry our loves, and bring us tidings from his father's house. But see his kindness. He has built his house next door to ours. Nay, more, he takes lodging with us, and tabernacles in poor humble hearts, that so we may have perpetual intercourse with us. Oh, how foolish we must be if we do not live in habitual communion with him. When the road is long and dangerous and difficult, we need not wonder that friends seldom meet each other, 
but when they live together, shall Jonathan forget his David? A wife may, when her husband is upon a journey, abide many days without holding converse with him, but she could never endure to be separated from him if she knew him to be in one of the chambers of her own house. Why, believer, dost thou not sit at his banquet of wine? Seek thy Lord, for he is near. Embrace him, for he is thy brother. Hold him fast, for he is thine husband. And press him to thine heart, for he is of thine own flesh. Evening, July 31st. And these are the singers. They were employed in that work day and night. First Chronicles 9.33 well was it so ordered in the temple that the sacred chant never ceased. For evermore did the singers praise the Lord, whose mercy endureth forever. As mercy did not cease to rule either by day or by night, so neither did music hush its holy ministry. My heart, there is a lesson sweetly taught to thee in the ceaseless song of Zion's temple. Thou too art a constant debtor, and see thou to it, that thy gratitude, like charity, never faileth. God's praise is constant in heaven, which is to be thy final dwelling place. Learn thou to practice the eternal hallelujah. Around the earth, as the sun scatters his light, his beams awaken grateful believers to tune their morning hymn, so that by the priesthood of the saints perpetual praise is kept up at all hours. They swathe our globe in a mantle of thanksgiving, and girdle it with a golden belt of song. The Lord always deserves to be praised for what he is in himself, for his works of creation and providence, for his goodness toward his creatures, and especially for the transcendent act of redemption, and all the marvelous blessing flowing therefrom. It is always beneficial to praise the Lord. It cheers the day and brightens the night. It lightens toil and softens sorrow, and over earthly gladness it sheds a sanctifying radiance which makes it less liable to blind us with its glare. Have we not something to sing about at this moment? Can we not weave a song out of our present joys, or our past deliverances, or our future hopes? Earth yields her summer fruits, the hay is housed. The golden grain invites the sickle, and the sun tarrying long to shine upon a fruitful earth shortens the interval of shade that we may lengthen the hours of devout worship. By the love of Jesus, let us be stirred up to close the day with a psalm of sanctified gladness. Morning, August 1st. Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn. Ruth 2 2. Downcast and troubled Christian, Come and glean today in the broad field of promise. Here are abundance of precious promises which exactly meet thy wants. Take this one. He will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the smoking flax. Doth not that suit thy case? A reed, helpless, insignificant, and weak. A bruised reed, out of which no music can come. Weaker than weakness itself. A reed, and that reed bruised, yet he will not break thee but on the contrary will restore and strengthen thee. Thou art like the smoking flax. No light, no warmth can come from thee, but he will not quench thee. He will blow with his sweet breath of mercy till he fans thee to a flame. 
wouldst thou glean another ear? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. With soft words. Thy heart is tender, and the master knows it, and therefore he speaketh so gently to thee. Wilt thou not obey him, and come to even him now? Take another ear of corn. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, I will help thee, saith the Lord and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. How canst thou fear with such a wonderful assurance as this? Thou mayest gather ten thousand such golden ears as these. I have blotted out thy sins like a cloud, and like a thick cloud thy transgressions. Or this, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Or this, the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Our master's field is very rich. Behold the handfuls. See, there they lie before thee, poor timid believer. Gather them up, make them thy own, for Jesus bids thee take them. Be not afraid, only believe. Grasp these sweet promises, thresh them out by meditation, and feed on them with joy. Evening, August 1st. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. Psalm 65:11. All the year round, every hour of every day, God is richly blessing us, both when we sleep and when we wake his mercy waits upon us. The sun may leave us a legacy of darkness, but our God never ceases to shine upon his children with beams of love. Like a river, his loving kindness is always flowing, with a fullness inexhaustible as his own nature. Like the atmosphere which constantly surrounds the earth, and is always ready to support the life of man, the benevolence of God surrounds all his creatures. In it, as in their element, they live and move, and have their being. Yet as the sun on summer days gladdens us with beams more warm and bright than at other times, and as rivers are at certain seasons swollen by the rain, and as the atmosphere itself is sometimes fraught with more fresh, more bracing, or more balmy influences than heretofore, so it is with the mercy of God. It hath its golden hours, its days of overflow, when the Lord magnifieth his grace before the sons of men. Amongst the blessings of the nether springs, the joyous days of harvest are a special season of excessive favor. It is the glory of autumn that the ripe gifts of providence are then abundantly bestowed. It is the mellow season of realization, whereas all before was but hope and expectation. Great is the joy of harvest. Happy are the reapers who fill their arms with the liberality of heaven. The psalmist tells us that the harvest is the crowning of the year. Surely these crowning mercies call for crowning thanksgiving. Let us render it by the inward emotions of gratitude. Let our hearts be warmed. Let our spirits remember, meditate, and think upon this goodness of the Lord. Then let us praise him with our lips, and laud and magnify his name with whose bounty all this goodness flows. Let us glorify God by yielding our gifts to his cause. A practical proof of our gratitude is a special thank-offering to the Lord of Harvest. Morning, August 2nd. 
who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Ephesians 1.11 Our belief in God's wisdom supposes and necessitates that he has a settled purpose and plan in the work of salvation. What would creation have been without his design? Is there a fish in the sea or a fowl in the air which has been left to chance for its formation? Nay, in every bone, joint, and muscle, sinew, gland, and blood vessel, you mark the presence of a God working everything according to the design of infinite wisdom. And shall God be present in creation, ruling over all, and not in grace? Shall the new creation have the fickle genius of free will to preside over it, when divine counsel rules the old creation? Look at providence. Who knoweth not that not a sparrow falleth to the ground without your father? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God weighs the mountains of our grief in scales, and the hills of our tribulation in balances. And shall there be a God in providence, and not in grace? Shall the shell be ordained by wisdom, and the kernel be left to blind chance? No. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees in its appointed place not merely the cornerstone which he has laid in fair colors in the blood of his dear son, but he beholds in their ordained position each of the chosen stones taken out of the quarry of nature and polished by his grace. He sees the whole from corner to cornice, from base to roof, from foundation to pinnacle. He hath in his mind a clear knowledge of every stone which shall be laid in its prepared place, and how vast the edifice shall be. And when the top stone shall be brought forth with shoutings of grace, grace unto it, at the last it shall be clearly seen that in every chosen vessel of mercy Jehovah did as he willed with his own, and that in every part of the work of grace he accomplished his purpose and glorified his own name. Evening, August 2nd. So she gleaned in the field until even. Ruth 2.17 Let me learn from Ruth the gleaner, as she went out to gather the ears of corn so must I go forth into the fields of prayer, meditation, the ordinances, and hearing the word to gather spiritual food. The gleaner gathers her portion ear by ear. Her gains are little by little. So must I be content to search for single truths, if there be no greater plenty of them. Every ear helps to make a bundle, and every gospel lesson assists in making us wise unto salvation. The gleaner keeps her ears open. If she stumbled along the stubble in a dream, she would have no load to carry home rejoicingly at eventide. I must be watchful in religious exercises, lest they become unprofitable to me. I fear I have lost much already. Oh, that I may rightly estimate my opportunities and glean with greater diligence. The gleaner stoops for all she finds, and so must I. High spirits criticize and object, but lowly minds glean and receive benefit. A humble heart is of great help towards profitably hearing the gospel. The engrafted soul-saving word is not received except with meekness. A stiff back makes a bad gleaner. Down, Master Pride, thou art a vile robber, not to be endured for a moment. What the gleaner gathers she holds. If she dropped one ear to find another, the result of her day's work would be but scant. She is as careful to retain as to obtain and so at last her gains are great. How often do I forget all that I hear? The second truth pushes the first out of my head, 
and so my reading and hearing end in much ado about nothing. Do I feel duly the importance of storing up the truth? A hungry belly makes the gleaner wise. If there be no corn in her hand, there will be no bread on her table. She labors under the pretense of necessity, and hence her tread is nimble, and her grasp is firm. I have even a greater necessity, Lord, help me to feel it, that it may urge me onward to glean in fields which yield so plenteous a reward to diligence. Morning, August 3rd. The lamp is the light thereof. Revelation 21-23 Quietly contemplate the Lamb as the light of heaven. Light in scripture is the emblem of joy. The joy of the saints in heaven is comprised in this. Jesus chose us, loved us, bought us, cleansed us, robed us, kept us, glorified us. We are here entirely through the Lord Jesus. Each one of these thoughts shall be to them like a cluster of the grapes of Eskol. Light is also the cause of beauty. Naught of beauty is left when light is gone. Without light, no radiance flashes from the sapphire. No peaceful ray proceedeth from the pearl. And thus all the beauty of the saints above comes from Jesus. As planets, they reflect the light of the sun of righteousness. They live as beams proceeding from the central orb. If he withdrew, they must die. If his glory were veiled, their glory must expire. Light is also the emblem of knowledge. In heaven our knowledge will be perfect, but the Lord Jesus himself will be the fountain of it. Dark providences, never understood before, will then be clearly seen, and all that puzzles us now will become plain to us in the light of the Lamb. Oh, what unfoldings there will be, and what glorifying of the God of love! Light also means manifestation, light manifests. In this world it doth not yet appear what we shall be. God's people are a hidden people. But when Christ receives his people into heaven, he will touch them with the wand of his own love, and change them into the image of his manifested glory. They were poor and wretched, but what a transformation! They were stained with sin, but one touch of his finger, and they are as bright as the sun, and clear as crystal. Oh, what a manifestation! All this proceeds from the exalted Lamb. Whatever they may be of effulgent splendor, Jesus shall be the center and soul of it all. Oh, to be present, and to see him in his own light, the King of kings, and Lord of lords! Evening, August 3rd. But as he went, Luke 8.42. Jesus is passing through the throng to the house of Jairus to raise the ruler's dead daughter. But he is so profuse in goodness that he works another miracle while upon the road. While yet this rod of Aaron bears the blossom of an unaccomplished wonder, it yields the ripe almonds of a perfect work of mercy. It is enough for us, if we have some one purpose, straightway to go and accomplish it. It were imprudent to expend our energies by the way. Hastening to the rescue of a drowning friend, we cannot afford to exhaust our strength upon another in like danger. It is enough for a tree to yield one sort of fruit, and for a man to fulfill his own peculiar calling. 
but our master knows no limit of power or boundary of mission. He is so prolific of grace that, like the sun which shines as it rolls onward in its orbit, his path is radiant with loving-kindness. He is a swift arrow of love, which not only reaches its ordained target, but perfumes the air through which it flies. Virtue is evermore going out of Jesus, as sweet odors exhale from flowers, and it always will be emanating from him, as water from a sparkling fountain. What a delightful encouragement this truth affords us! If our Lord is so ready to heal the sick and bless the needy, then, my soul, be not thou slow to put thyself in his way, that he may smile on thee. Be not slack in asking, if he be so abundant in bestowing. Give earnest heed to his word now, and at all times, that Jesus may speak through it to thy heart. Where he is to be found, there make thy resort, that thou mayest obtain his blessing. When he is present to heal, may he not heal thee? But surely he is present even now, for he always comes to hearts which need him. And dost thou not need him? Ah, he knows how much. Thou son of David, turn thine eye, and look upon the distress which is now before thee, and make thy suppliant whole. Morning, August 4th. The people that do not know their God shall be strong. Daniel 11.32 Every believer understands that to know God is the highest and best form of knowledge. And this spiritual knowledge is a source of strength to the Christian. It strengthens his faith. Believers are constantly spoken of in the scriptures as being persons who are enlightened and taught of the Lord. They are said to have an unction from the Holy One and it is the Spirit's peculiar office to lead them into all truth, and all this for the increase and the fostering of their faith. Knowledge strengthens love as well as faith. Knowledge opens a door, and then through that door we see our Savior. Or to use another similitude, knowledge paints the portrait of Jesus, and when we see that portrait, then we love him. We cannot love a Christ whom we do not know, at least in some degree. If we know but little of the excellences of Jesus, what he has done for us and what he is doing now, we cannot love him much. But the more we know him, the more we shall love him. Knowledge also strengthens hope. How can we hope for a thing if we do not know of its existence? Hope may be the telescope, but till we receive instruction, our ignorance stands in front of the glass, and we can see nothing whatever. Knowledge removes the interposing object, and when we look through the bright optic glass, we discern the glory to be revealed, and anticipate it with joyous confidence. Knowledge supplies us reasons for patience. How shall we have patience unless we know something of the sympathy of Christ, and understand the good which is to come out of the correction which our Heavenly Father sends us? Nor is there one single grace of the Christian which, under God, will not be fostered and brought to perfection by holy knowledge. How important, then, is it that we should grow not only in grace, but in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Evening, August 4th. I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands. 
Haggai 2.17 How destructive is the hail to the standing crops, beating out the precious grain upon the ground! How grateful ought we to be when the corn is spared so terrible a ruin! Let us offer unto the Lord thanksgiving. Even more to be dreaded are those mysterious destroyers, smut, bunt, rust, and mildew. These turn the ear into a mass of soot, or render it putrid, or dry up the grain, and all in a manner beyond all human control that the farmer is compelled to cry, This is the finger of God. Innumerable minute fungi cause the mischief, and were it not for the goodness of God, the rider on the black horse would soon scatter famine over the land. Infinite mercy spares the food of men, but in view of the active agents which are ready to destroy the harvest, right wisely are we taught to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. The curse is abroad. We have constant need of the blessing. When blight and mildew come, they are chastisements from heaven, and men must learn to bear the rod, and him that hath appointed it. Spiritually, mildew is no uncommon evil. When our work is most promising, this blight appears. We hope for many conversions, and lo, a general apathy, an unbounding worldliness, or a cruel hardness of heart. There may be no open sin in those for whom we are laboring, but there is a deficiency of sincerity and a decision sadly disappointing our desires. We learn from this our dependence upon the Lord, and the need of prayer that no blight may fall upon our work. Spiritual pride or sloth will soon bring upon us this dreadful evil, and only the Lord of the harvest can remove it. Mildew may even attack our own hearts, and shrivel our prayers and religious exercises. May it please the great husbandman to avert so serious a calamity. Shine, blessed Son of Righteousness! Drive the blights away. End of July twenty ninth to August fourth. Recording by Rick Cornwall.